Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of Stand Up For The Truth. Hope you had a wonderful weekend, and uh, we're good to go here for another week. As always, I want to remind you to pray for this ministry. The warfare seems to be endless, but that's part of the blessing of being in Christ, being a child of God. We know that there are going to be attacks, and if you're not being attacked in any way, if you have no warfare, if you are if you rarely go through any trials, well, maybe people don't know you're a Christian, but I hope they do. <laughs> I hope they do. I hope you're unashamed of the gospel. Um, the good news I mentioned on Friday, just an update on my book, uh, should have the cover this week. Uh, if you did not hear Friday's podcast on news and commentary and views, so much going on in the culture and around the world. Um, at the beginning of the show, I announced that my publisher wants to move up the publishing date for my book, which is almost unheard of in the book world, and the publishing world. So he wants to move it up. April 20th is the target date now. Of course, the book is called Canceling Christianity. Look for it in a few weeks, God willing, but keep that process in prayer, please. Um, let's go to the Lord and open as we always do and ask for help. Uh, God, thank you for giving us another day. Um, we praise you for salvation. We praise you for saving us. Thank you, God, for counting us worthy to serve you, to know you, to be a child of the King, children of the King. Oh Lord, we pray that we would be strong in you and the power of your might, not relying on our own strength as we face these battles on this temporary earth, one day at a time. Teach us to number our days. Give us wisdom. Help us to do what you call us to do, Lord. Love our neighbors and to stand up for the truth of Christ to expose the deeds of darkness, but as always, speak the truth in love. Uh, give us your grace today, your favor, God. We, we thank you for the privilege and honor of being able to have a personal relationship with you, and we pray that you'd encourage each person listening right now, touch their hearts, show yourself strong in their lives, provide for all their needs. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, today's guest, we have a brand new brother in the Lord with us, Ed Stoll. He's going to be uh, talking about kids in the church, children, young people, and um, how the recent trends seem to indicate that more are leaving the church. And uh, Ed has worked in the field of auditing and investigations, evaluating evidence for 20-plus years. He's a certified financial crimes investigator and a cer certified fraud examiner. He's an expert in the field for the past 17-plus years, though, he has also been developing evidence-based apologetics teaching uh, that's geared towards church, middle, and high schoolers, as well as related topics for parents and youth leaders. His presentations to youth emphasize proving the veracity of the Bible and providing answers to difficult questions from the Bible, evaluating evidence, rational thought, analysis, and historical context. He's spoken at uh, the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. I love uh, Breakpoint commentaries and others that uh, John Stone Street does. He speaks at camps and churches and also on the radio, of course, to train youth to have a strong faith foundation to raise awareness with parents and church leaders about the anti-Christian bias in academia from K-12 through through the university system and all the things that people need to be warned about, Christian families, about what children face in schools today. He's from Maryland and attends First Baptist Church of Crofton. He's a member. His wife, uh, and uh, is it Glossia? I hope I said that right, Ed. And three children, Mackenzie, Kyle, and Dylan. Ed, welcome to Stand Up For The Truth, brother. Well, thank you, David, for having me on your show. Um, it's an honor to be here and uh, to come talk about my favorite subject, you know, how to reach our church, youth for Christ, and how they're being attacked for their faith in our culture, and how they're really struggling in our 
secular culture. Yes, they are. And as you know, you've been doing this for a while. They've been struggling for many decades. And it's not a right. it's not an overnight happening here. But before we get into this important topic, Ed, tell us a little bit about your your background, your ministry, what brought you to this type of ministry, and also uh, just your your faith testimony, if you would, please. Sure. So I'll start with what brought me to the ministry. I I wanted to be a, a good husband and a good father. So years before I met who would be my future wife, I wanted to prepare to be a good father and a good husband to lead my family spiritually. So I started uh, really studying the Bible in depth, uh, going through it, uh, dealing with any difficult passages that I could. I started listening to a lot of apologetic uh, teachers like uh, Walter Martin, probably my favorite, awesome. as well as others. Awesome. And I started to read as many apologetic books as I could, and, and that was to get ready to be a good father, because God had always uh, placed in my heart the desire to be a father, and I always knew that he would bless me with a wife and, uh, and children. So I started uh, that process and um, to be ready to teach my uh, kids in Christ. And then years later... I uh, married a wonderful lady from Brazil, Glossia. You did pronounce her name right. Awesome. <laughs> and I have three children. I have a daughter, seven, and I have two boys, 13 and 15. And and I've done everything I can to, to help raise them in Christ. So that's how I, I got involved in this. It was really just to raise my own kids in, hmm. in Christ and also to be a good— um, a good husband to my wife spiritually. And then it just seemed to take off from there. I, I would, I taught every uh, age level at church and then I got up to the middle school class and somebody said that they, they thought I had a gift for it. Um, I was surprised. I didn't really even know that the kids were listening or to me. And then I got invited to speak at River Valley Ranch Camp, and then it just kind of ballooned from there. So Mm. that's how it all started, and that's kind of where I'm at now. So can I sum that up from what I heard you just explain by saying you wanted to equip your children and make sure that they had a solid foundation so that they could stand all these cultural tests and everything, all the immorality they're bombarded with and the skepticism about Christianity, so they could give an answer for their faith and not lose their faith in God. Absolutely. So um, you have teenage, two of your children are teenagers, correct? Yes, 13 and 15, which makes me a little sad because <laughs> they don't think I'm as cool as I used to be, and they don't talk to me as much, but that's the way it is. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it is today. Hey, so, Ed, um, let's get back to just some of the reasons that ch- church youth—we're talking about so-called Christian. Now, some of them may or may not be saved or converted, but let's just assume most kids in youth groups are, and boy, that could open up a whole other can of worms, but let's just say— um, why are some of them losing their faith, and when does this typically occur? At about what age have you noticed? Okay, so why they're losing their faith and when it occurs. So the, the age actually, high school used to be the critical age. that We used to see kids after high school, within two years of high school, they no longer attended church, and they were losing their faith. In fact, the current statistics are 7 out of 10 High school kids, after they graduate high school, will lose their faith. Wow. So just think about that. 70%. 70%. But it starts in middle school. The recently, uh, there's a trickle-down effect, and the studies from Barna and Lifeway Research and some of the other groups are showing that this, this happens in middle school. Uh, of the 70% that eventually lose their faith after high school, 40% of these kids basically started checking out while they were in middle school in church and stopped believing. Mm. So I believe middle school really is the, the critical time, the last time that you will really probably have a chance to reach them for Christ and impact their lives spiritually in a significant way. Ed, I want to thank you for your answer, what you just said, because believe it or not, a lot of people, uh, pastors, church ministry leaders, they're still hanging on to some very dated statistics saying that uh, by after one year in college, you know, kids leave their faith. No, 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 no. This, that, right. was, that was the 1980s, you know, at, right. at best, the 1990s. So thank you 
for being up on some of these stats and understanding the important point that it starts in middle school. We've read a lot of research and studies saying that kids start doubting their faith in middle school so that by high school they're gone. Um, I think Ken Ham came out with something years ago called Already Gone. Uh, I don't remember what decade that came out, but Ed, uh, what are some of the factors that Christian children start what causes them to start doubting? Is it the teaching of evolution? Is it the elimination of God and prayer and the Bible and the Ten Commandments and any biblical morality in government-run schools? What what do you attribute that to? I'm sure there's a, a lot of things. Well, I can tell you what the kids tell us. So uh, they survey. There's been lots of surveys done again by Barna and Lifeline. They ask the kids that eventually leave after um, high school, and the number one answer always is intellectual skepticism. Hey, um, my faith didn't make sense. It doesn't correspond to science. The stories in the Bible are silly. Uh, my, my philosophy professor proved that there's no God. So proved. really it's, <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, it is. So these are the, uh, they're, that's what they're telling us. And they're, they're giving us the answer. They're, they're doubting their faith. In fact, another stat that you're probably familiar with is only 6% of uh, adults accept Christ. So mm. you don't reach these kids um, by by the time they're they're 18. There's a 94% chance that you're not going to reach them. Um, so now why, why are they having this skepticism? Why are the doubts? Well, we live in very confusing times for our kids, unfortunately. Um, this is a time uh, when... There is our kids are just being attacked for their faith. They're being made to feel ashamed for being Christians. They're made made to feel uh, being a pariah for being Christians. Our culture is telling them that Christianity is outdated, but it even gets worse than that. Our culture is telling them that you know their great great grandparents are just some amoeba, and uh, there's no God, mm. and uh, they're just molecules in motion. So there's no hope and there's no purpose in that message. Hmm. Molecules in motion. I also heard someone say uh, moist robots. <laughs> We're just moist <laughs> robots. Uh, um, so, Ed, I want to just emphasize something you just shared, and I, I have heard it before, but I don't think we talk about it enough, that if, if children, if kids, teenagers, young adults do not accept Christ early in their lives, adults, when, it, when you get whatever adult age, you know, college age or after that, only six percent except Christ once people get older and out of school. Right. This this really points back to education, how important it is for people, to, for Christian families to understand how education, and I, I'm using air quotes right now in the studio, Ed, education that, that the government curriculum is shoving down. I mean, look at the hypersexualized education, which we don't have time to get into. We talk yeah. a lot about that on this show. They're not educating kids, they're programming, they're indoctrinating. Um, so only 6%, this is how important it is for youth groups to actually teach the Bible instead of entertain their kids. Do you have any thoughts on how, um, there's a lot of Christians that listen to this program, obviously, some are youth leaders, um, a few are pastors, <laughs> but for youth groups, we've heard horror stories, Ed, about, these might be good churches, but in youth groups, they people think, oh, kids have short attention spans. We've got to entertain the kids. Don't get too deep into the Bible. What are your thoughts about that, and how can we overcome those really lies? Yeah, I, it's unfortunate. I'll give a story about a church in uh, my area, and then I'll talk about my thoughts. It was sure. a really good church in our area. Uh, this was before the pandemic a couple years ago. They started having weekly con a concerts on Friday night, and they would have Christian bands come and give concerts. And a lot of non-Christian kids attended these concerts, which was great. Uh, they're going to hear the gospel. But what started Hopefully. to happen is a lot of the Christian kids, a lot of the church kids, really got involved in a lot of the things during and after the con the concerts that uh, Christians would not get involved in. And it was a disaster. <laughs> oh. It really hurt the youth group. Hmm. But you're right, though. We, the focus on today's, uh, uh, in today's youth groups is, more of a seeker-sensitive entertainment uh, focus, and it's not on discipleship. And I can tell you, I teach the middle school class at my church. I also um, 
I'm one of the leaders in our youth group. I do a lot of activities with the kids. We have a lot of fun. I, I go on roller coasters with the kids at Six Flags. I, we go laser tag. We, we do all kinds of stuff. But I, but I can tell you, that's all fun and good, and we do have good conversations during those times. But, but the, I can tell you what the kids want. The kids want answers to the hard questions that they have. They are really struggling. The questions that the middle schoolers ask me in class would make their parents blush. Wow. They ask the hardest questions, and that's what they really want. They're really struggling to find their place, their Christian place in our culture. Um, and when, when I get a chance, I'd like to talk about some examples about how much they're being attacked for their faith in our culture, because I really don't think a lot of parents understand the gravity of these attacks, because it's not really being reported in the news if I start going through examples, I think parents would really be shocked Yes, what's happening. Okay, I would like to do that, Ed. We've got three and a half more minutes in this first segment, but I do want to say kudos to uh, your approach because the kids do need something to keep them uh, interested, but they do not need entertainment at church. When I spoke at a youth camp uh, several times you know, in the last couple of years, one of the main questions, we had a Q&A on Saturday night. One of the main questions, or the, the bulk of the questions, was about j- transgenderism and creation. What kids are dealing with in schools and the right. pressure the LGBT community is putting on these young kids, the pressure. So let's, let's start about with uh, some of your points from your talk. What Christian parents need to know about how their children's faith is being attacked. Go ahead, Ed. Okay. <laughs> your kids and i'll start it and we'll have probably have to pick up after the break yes your kids are just being attacked for their faith ask them what's happening in school because they're probably not telling you every year hmm. when my middle schoolers come up when the new middle schoolers come up in the class of sixth graders i ask them hey has anybody made you feel ashamed for their faith and i can tell you every year about a third of the kids raise their hands they're the ones that want to tell me what's going on and it's always what's happening in school. A girl in my class, an eighth grader, was reading her Bible on a school bus, and she was told by one of the teachers that took the school bus that she was not allowed to read her Bible on a school bus. Oh, my goodness. Wait a minute. This, course, is, this is America, right, Ed? This is in the United States? <laughs> right, absolutely. At least it is as of now. We have <laughs> so what I told her, I said, of course, I talked to her parents, but I told her, just tell the next time your teacher says that, tell your teacher that you're just reading the best-selling book the most published book of all time, six billion copies compared to Harry Potter at 107 million. And once she did that, the teacher never bothered her again. Oh, my goodness. we can take interesting approaches to it. That's great. Say that again for just clarify. You're you're saying reading the Bible. I'm I'm just reading one of the best-selling books of all time, right? Yeah, best-selling, most published. Most published. There's been six billion copies of the Bible available. Harry Potter, the first Harry Potter book, sold 107 million. So once we put that in perspective, uh, that's that's that. In fact, no other book has, has ever had uh, more than two billion copies published, and so the Bible is at six billion. So that seems to, in that situation, that seemed to make the make the teacher realize, okay, that's I don't know how to respond to that. So mm. Wow, that's fascinating. It's just to think that it's the most published. Least read, I bet, and and probably the most attacked, <laughs> most published, most attacked. What what's a, another point you can share with us before we have two minutes? Okay, we're dealing with this time of COVID. Kids are starting to uh, go back to school in some locations and in a hybrid setting. There was a girl in uh, Lydia Booth in Mississippi, so she wore a Jesus loves me mask, and she was told by her school, nope. Can't wear that mask. That's against our policy, although they didn't have a policy against it. And they're in litigation about that. And you might, people might think, well, this is not a big deal. The girl's nine years old, and how's this going to make her feel about her faith? Is this going to make her proud of her faith? When I was a kid and I was in school, I really uh, valued what my teachers thought of me. Um, and when my teachers would tell me that I was doing something wrong, it really impacted me. And this girl's being told, no, you're doing something wrong. You can't wear a mask that says Jesus loves me. Nine-year-old. Mm. Wow. This is something that, okay, we've got to take a break. Ed Stoll is our guest today. We're talking a lot more about what Christian parents need to know about how their children's faith is being attacked and what they can do. How can they prepare their kids? It's astounding. 
in America, a Jesus love me, loves me mask or message can be censored. That's where we are today, friends. A whole lot more coming up on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today is Ed Stoll. He's an expert on youth, preparing them for what they're going to be faced with, not only while they're in church before they get out of school, but in the future, what's bombarding them. Um, So far, 70% of young people leave the Christian faith. It starts in middle school when they start doubting because of all the indoctrination, evolution, the LGBT, everything's coming against them. Um, Only 6% of adults end up accepting Christ. And um, 6 billion copies of the Bible published, sold, maybe not read. But, Ed, how can (laughs) parents and the church get our young people ready uh, just for this, the, the kind of testing that they're going to face. Okay, so uh, let me talk about a few more examples, but I'll talk a little bit about what they can do to get them ready. Sure. Um, it's, it's, you're right, it's mainly the parents' job. Um, this, is, this falls on the parents. The Bible says that we have to relentlessly uh, work to train our youth in Christ. Here, is the, the Lord our God is one, and then later in that verse it talks about you know, at the day, the night, walking on the street, uh, you got you got to train your kids in, in the Bible. So parents need to do this 24-7. It needs to be part of the dinner routine. It needs to be part of putting the kids to bed. It needs to be conversations in the cars. So it all falls on, really, on the parents mostly. As far as the churches, by the time the kids have got to middle school, they know the Bible stories. We don't need to have curriculums where all we do is talk about the Bible stories like Samson and Delilah and David and Goliath. The kids need doctrine. The kids need to be able to talk about hard issues, and they need answers to hard questions. I mean, that's what they need. And that's, I, I, In fact, any time I give a presentation to my middle schoolers, I always show them some evidence that the Bible is true. Like when we, if we talk about the walls of Jericho, I will show them a picture of the archaeologist that's standing in front of the walls of Jericho showing that it was discovered. Awesome. If I'm talking about the widow's mite, I pass around a widow's mite that I have from the time of Christ so the kids can look at it. Kids need visuals. Yes. They don't need to go over stories. Yes, and they don't need to be entertained. We made that point earlier. Yes, keep, keep their interest, but you do not need to entertain young people. They need something that's, that will really help them to defend their faith and to continue to believe. Um, so what else can parents do, and what do we have to be aware of, Ed? Okay. Well, let's talk about what we need to be aware of. Let's talk about a 7-year-old out in uh, Palmsdale Desert Rose Elementary School who shared Bible verses with his, with his class. He's a first grader. His mom will put Bible verses in his lunch, and they got really popular. The kids like to talk about them at recess. What did the school do because of this? The school sent the Los Angeles County Sheriff to his house to tell his parents he wasn't allowed to bring the Bible verses to school anymore. I'm not making this up. Wow. I have all this is sourced. If you want to Google it, please Google it. This is the nonsense in our culture. It is. And I'm going to talk about one that bothers me the most. And I'm just in elementary school. I haven't got to middle school, high school, or college yet, and maybe that's a topic for another day. Yes. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about... Um, Jason Cross. Jason Cross is an, was an eight-year-old uh, student at Highway Elementary School in Michigan. He's on the autism spectrum. I have a nephew who's on the autism, who's on the autism spectrum, and autistic kids typically cling to something. When my nephew was young, it was his Buzz Lightyear toy, and then it was a blanket. This kid, Jason, eight-year-older, it was his Bible. He would read his Bible during his free time, including lunch. Did it for months. Well, one school official saw him and said, the Bible's banned from school. You're not allowed to read the Bible in school. Now, you would think the next day, a lot of times the next day the school has an epiphany and they realize how stupid they were. It took months of appeals. Attorneys got involved. And, it took, and then, he, then after all that, they said, oh, by the way, the Bible's not banned in school anymore. So what did this experience, how did it impact Jason and his faith? The kid's autistic. Think about this for a second. This is, there's no excuse for this. Mm-mm. 
So, so, and I, I could talk more about um, other ones, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go right to college because college the the tax intensified. Oh my right. goodness, it is, and it is. They, yeah, there's there's an environment of hostility toward the Christian faith on the college campus. And, and they, they claim to be about diversity and inclusion and tolerance, right? But they are the most intolerant about free speech and uh, Christianity. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm just going to give a couple of examples. And just so you know, if, if your listeners want to Google examples like anti-Christian bias academia, you're not going to have a problem finding examples. <laughs> There's thousands of them, yes. but I'm just picking a few. So there is a teacher, a college professor, um, on writing, an English class on writing. And this is what it says in her curriculum. Giant warning. Any instances of othering that you participate in intentionally uh, will not be tolerated. This goes the same for papers projects, blah, 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 on abortion. I take this seriously. So what she's saying is, if you bring your conservative views, if you want to talk about abortion and see list other things in there, um, you're not going to take my class. So you can't if you believe it, if you believe abortion is wrong, you're not allowed to take an English writing class at this particular school. It is the University of University of Iowa. Or, no, I'm sorry, take that out. Iowa State University. Iowa State University. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Gilly, you were going to say something? No, no, I just wanted you to just continue with some examples. Okay. I'm going to give another one. This is another, uh, this is from Florida Atlantic University. Uh, there's a young man in the class, Ryan Martella. He was taking a class on intercultural communications. And during his class, his professor had this assignment that he wanted the kids to uh, do in class. And I'm just going to read it word for word. Have the students write the name Jesus in big letters on a piece of paper. Ask the students to stand up and put the paper on the floor in front of them with the name facing up. Ask the students to think about it for a moment. After a brief period of silence, instruct them to stomp on the paper. Hmm. Well, Ryan said, no, I'm not gonna step on a paper and write Jesus' name on a paper and step on it. You know, if, 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 if I deny Jesus before men, he's gonna deny me before the Father. This, this is a violation of my faith. Um, how in the world is this happening? What is what does this have to do with intercultural communications? What happened to just <laughs> teaching the class? And this mm-hmm. is just bizarre to me. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the kids in class did do it. Um, the university kind of didn't do much. They just issued an apology later for any offense that this caused. So this is the craziness in our culture. Mm. Well, it's really sad. Yes, it is, Ed, and we've seen this gr- really growing exponentially for the last several decades. And as you mentioned, um, even the word Jesus on a mask, Jesus loves you. What a, what a horrible message, huh? I'm, I'm being sarcastic. Yeah. It's, it's a, a loving message. Jesus loves you. But because Jesus, there, this is a spiritual war. We have to remember our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But there is hostility now toward Jesus because it's a very real battle that's manifesting in the natural, in the, sp- in the uh, physical realm. Um, why do you suppose—now, this is a little bit off topic, and I'm kind of throwing you a, a challenging question here. Uh, why do you suppose people don't get as offended when you might mention Buddha or Confucius or Muhammad or other isms or religions, but you talk about Jesus and uh-oh— they even use Jesus as a cuss word. So why is G- the name of Jesus such a threat? I think it's two reasons. I think the first reason, obviously, we're growing up, well, what used to be a Christian nation. I actually think we're in a, a post-Christian uh, setting. But mm-hmm. but so we're used to uh, Christianity being a, the main uh, religion in our culture. So I think that's probably part of it. But I think the other reason is um, – Christianity, I think that actually is one of the evidences that Christianity is true. There's a, a lot of hostility towards Christianity, and that's, let's be honest, you're right, that's coming from, not from flesh and blood, that's coming from uh, principalities and powers, the dark forces, Satan. I mean, that's really where it's coming from. We, You're right, you made a good point. We don't, we have to focus on, on where this is coming from and not be so upset with the individuals, because what else do we expect? Mm-hmm. What else do we expect from non-Christians? I, I, I don't expect them to understand my faith. I don't expect them to 
maybe even respect my faith, especially in today's culture. Uh, so really, this is a war that's happening. Uh, it's a spiritual war, and we need to approach it that way. Absolutely. It is spiritual. There, it is. It has intensified, and it has been going on for decades. And because it's been so gradual, Ed, um, you mentioned uh, just some recent examples, but remember in the 1960s, that was a, a catalyst. If, it, if any decade was a catalyst for what we're seeing today, whether that be the uh, rebellion and the free love, I mean sexual revolution, right? Um, right. We also saw the Bible and uh, prayer taken out of public schools. Um, think about that. It happened in the early 1960s. The ground had to be prepared the environment, the atmosphere had to be prepared for that to happen. So whatever led up to that in the 1950s, it was already being prepared, this against this uh, agenda against the Christian faith. That's how it happens. If the ground is prepared, seeds are planted, lies are told, and then believed, and then they start discriminating against Christians or taking Christian influence out of the public square. And when you say... I can't get out this out of my head. When you said that uh, she was told to take off a mask that said Jesus loves you, um, Ed, I'm thinking my last uh, article over at Freedom Project Media was on the Grammys and how, I mean, if uh, cartoons are canceled, but yet the, the recent Grammys, I didn't watch them, but they were literally pornographic. It was like soft porn, and these rappers were out there half-dressed. They were dancing around. They were e- even simulating a lesbian sex scene on primetime television. It's considered now feminist, iconic, progressive, right? But right. but yet Jesus loves you on a on on a mask or someone in a, a kid in public schools wanting to pray or a kid wanting to read the Bible. That's offensive. We have flipped. And Isaiah five twenty, of course, says, uh, "Woe to those who call evil good." and good evil. Ed, we've got five more minutes left, and just whatever else you think you want to share to prepare Christian parents. I think a lot of our audience, we're very aware, they are very aware of what's going on, but maybe don't know all the ways they can help young people be more aware of these attacks and how to prepare for them. Sure. So what I can tell you, to help your kids prepare for the attacks, and I'm talking to parents, and I'll, I'll mention the maybe some advices for the church and, and youth workers after that. Sure. Your kids want answers. Your kids want answers to the hard questions. I've been working in the children's ministry, primarily middle school ministry, for over 17 years. I've never seen so much depression. Mm. I've never seen so much uh, hopelessness. Uh, I had a girl in my um, – I, I had – one girl in my class, in my middle school class, that told me she was thinking about committing suicide. Mm. Uh, and that's not the first time that that's happened. Um, we live in a culture that, that our, and these are these are church kids. These are Christian kids. Um, that, mm. This is somebody who, who believes in Christ. So they want answers to the hard questions. They want to they know, um, you know, why did bad things happen? You know, wh- why did my grandfather die? Um, our culture is going to give different answers than we would give. They, they're going to want to know, um, hey, is my Muslim friend really going to go to hell? Jesus can't be the only way. It, it just can't be that way. There's got to be some kind of other way that God lets people into heaven. Um, they ask uh, questions like that. There's a lot of questions about sexuality, a lot of, especially with the girls. I mean, you, I, I'm talk to the parents after they ask me just to let them know what's going on but i can tell you there's so much confusion because they're getting one message from our culture and they're they're looking at the bible and it's a different message and they're and these are christian kids these are church kids they're really confused they don't know how to reconcile this and when i say confused they're they're confused the same way that our culture um is confused there's kids in our in my class that are experiencing feelings and they don't know what to do with those feelings they think they're uh, against the Bible, and and and, and they, they don't. They, it's hard. It's I think it's hard being a girl these days oh my in goodness. our culture. Yep. But they but they want hard questions. They I mean answers the hard questions. They that's what they want. Um, they also um they also want understanding and compassion from their parents. They want parents that don't flip out when they ask these <laughs> questions. They really want their parents to hear them. I know that's a lot of times 
go to their parents and talk to them about the issues that they're struggling with to try to put it in, a, in perspective. Because the worst thing a parent can do is say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that you're feeling that way or this or that. And that's just going to shut down the conversation in the future. Yeah. And that's that's <laughs> that probably is never a good response to react to your kids and go, I can't believe you're feeling that way. No, we all have temptations or feelings we ought not to act on. The the line when we jump into sin is when we act on those, whatever whether it's sexual desires or temptations, but everyone has certain thoughts or feelings at times. It's what you do with those. So to communicate to kids, especially teenagers, Ed, and you've got two of them in your house, they've go, they, right. they're going through this time of, uh, what do you call it, hormones for the boys, right. testosterone, and and they're going to be curious about sex and other things. To, it, that topic should not be off limits in the home. No. So, parents, you, you should, in fact, talk more about these issues. Two more minutes, Ed. Uh, wrap it up with your final thoughts and, and sure. your, your advice for Christian parents. Sure. Um, but let me, I think I'm good with the parents. Let me go to the churches. Like I stressed before, Great. churches need Great. to have a good curriculum. It's really about the curriculum in a lot of ways. Not covering the Bible stories from middle school, covering doctrine, covering what's behind the Bible stories, applications to life, answering hard questions, not not staying away from certain topics. That's what the, they need to do. Mm-hmm. They need to show the kids that their faith is based on evidence. And I'm happy to come on your show really anytime to talk about it, uh, about about the classes that I do um, that show about uh, faith based on evidence. They need to know that their faith is based on evidence. It's not based on blind faith. Amen. Um but the curriculum is really critical. I, I really do think the curriculum is critical because I, um, we have a good curriculum at our church, but I can tell you I've seen a lot of other churches that don't have good curriculum for middle schoolers or high schoolers, and I think that's critical. Um, this may, Mainly part of this conversation was about 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Ed Stoll, how can people get in touch with you, brother? Okay, so the best way to get in touch with me, I'll give my email address. It's Edward David Larry Samuel at yahoo.com, E-D-L-F at yahoo.com. And you, I know nobody's probably going to believe what I'm saying, but believe it or not, I never charge a fee to speak. I will come to your church. I will do it virtual. I've never charged a fee to, fee to speak in all these years, and I never will. God's blessed me with a good living. And I am doing this because God's calling me to do it. I'm not doing it for my own benefit, limelight, financial gain. I'm doing this because I really care about what's happening in the culture to our kids. Well, Ed, I I pray that more Christian parents would uh, follow your example and be so concerned about their children at the youngest possible ages to prepare and equip them for the hostile culture that they're going to be facing. Brother, thank you for your time. God bless you, and uh, uh, keep doing what you're doing, and we'll talk to you again soon. Well, thank you so much, David. All right, when we come back, uh, Tucker Carlson had a guest on that was arrested after appearing on his show. Also, there's a breaking story from James O'Keefe. Oh, you're going to love this one. Uh, James O'Keefe, the citizen journalist, um, Project Veritas, about the immigration chaos and crisis at the southern border. More in just a minute on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Okay, we talked a little bit about this on Friday, and uh, just we read a couple articles because that was our news day, our news show, um, about what was happening at the southern border and the fact that the media not only was not interested in reporting it, apparently, but uh, the media wasn't even uh, putting pressure on the Biden administration. I'm sorry, the O'Biden administration. But the reports we mentioned Friday, 13,000 accompanied minors in Border Control, Border Patrol custody, large migrant groups crossing the border into Texas, just in Texas, 24,000 in two weeks. Biden's DHS Department of Homeland Security Secretary said if Mexican or international parents send their children to the border, we will not expel them. We will care for them. The question we asked on Friday, with whose money? So today we just got a breaking story from James O'Keefe, Project Veritas. More photos leaked from inside Joe Biden's border crisis from detention facilities. Guys, these are these are horrific. 
Um, Project Veritas put these out. If you follow them on social media, Twitter, Facebook, look them up, go to their website. I'm looking at the Daily Wire right now. When Trump was in office, of course, he was throwing kids in cages. Biden, these are just um, just temporary facilities, right? What are they calling them? I think that's one of the words they're using. So James O'Keefe is at the southern border here. He obtained horrifying, never-before-seen images from the Texas Immigrant Detention Center. Thousands of illegal immigrants packed into tight spaces. They're wrapped in space blankets, you know, on the floor. Um, An insider says just in this one facility, 50-plus tested positive for COVID. And the Biden administration is letting them come right into America. What do you what do you, what do you think about that? I know what you think about that. You think that th- th- this is lawlessness. You think that uh, why did they destroy or try to to eliminate the Trump policies of actually organization, the border wall, protecting our borders, letting people in legally, going through the legal uh, channels they had to go through? No, Biden. We but we knew this. Anyone that's surprised that Joe Biden and the administration is doing this. Shame on you for being uninformed or not caring. That was pretty that was pretty harsh, wasn't it? But I'm looking at thousands of kids. It's not just adults, friends, children. They got the message from Biden leading up to the election last November that he would let in anyone and everyone that came to the southern border. And I'm sure you know someone that voted for him, even professing Christians that voted for the O'Biden Democrats. And I'm looking at these pictures, these kids laying, they're on the floor. They've got, like he described it, James O'Keefe described it as space blankets. Um, I don't know. It looks like cages to me, but they're not calling it cages because it's a Democrat in power, a Democrat administration in Washington, so you can't use the word cages. Same facilities that are overflowing, but you can't use cages anymore. But now it's a crisis because there's too many people coming over the border. All right. Just I'm just telling you what the media is not reporting. These are actual photos obtained from or by Project Veritas and James O'Keefe. Pray for him. Pray for more citizen journalists to, to do work like him, because otherwise we're not going to get the truth in America. We, I think we've seen that after the year 2020, which was a catalyst <laughs> in our history. Um, we saw the duplicity of the media in America, the, the Democrat media. So this is a very important story, friends. So if you don't know what's happening on the border because the media is not reporting it, um, so that's one thing to look up. So go to Daily Wire, go to Project Veritas. Next, that uh, Tucker Carlson had a guest on that was arrested days after appearing on his show. Um, Friday, he updated viewers on the status of a Michigan restaurant owner. Her name is Marlena Pavlos Hackney, who appeared on Tucker Carlson tonight earlier uh, last week to discuss how authorities were trying to have her arrested for operating her business. The audacity, right? A business owner wanting to stay open. The audacity. Who does she think she is? What country does she think? Oh, that's right. It's America. Oh, that's right. She has a freedom to do that. Oh, that's right. We're protected by the Constitution. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Owning your own business. Anyway, Oh, but there's the the Rona. Mm, Forget the Rona virus. So now she's in jail. She was arrested um, Friday, 6 a.m. by police, taken away in ankle shackles and wrist cuffs. One of the few people in this country who gets up really early to go to work because she really cares. Actually, a lot of people do that. But business owners like her trying their very hardest during the fear-mongering that the media and everyone else is, is during the coronavirus. So she's just trying to keep her business open. What did they do? They grabbed her, sent her away. And um, what do they do with people who commit gun crimes in Detroit? Oh, they just turn the other way. What do they do with Black Lives Matter looters and rioters? People literally stealing from stores that have been broken into? They turn the other way. They burn buildings? What does Kamala Harris do? Bails them out of jail. Contributes to a bailout fund of felons and criminals. 
that burn down buildings and destroy property, get them out of jail. Here's a business owner in Michigan, Marlena Pavlis Hackney, who just wants to keep her business open to support her family during the Rona scamdemic, and she's arrested and taken to jail. We're told that she'll be in jail for 93 days unless she pays $35,000 in Michigan. There's another tyrant, tyrannical governor. Uh, what's your name? Gretchen Whitmer? No, Whitner. Whitmer, sorry. Uh, sh- so she's not going to pay. She shouldn't pay. You need to raise awareness about this story. I got this over at prophecywatchman.com. It's all over the news and in other outlets, but I, I just encourage you, don't share if it's on CNN. They will probably be against her for the audacity of keeping her business open. She, because she doesn't care. She wants to kill people by keeping her business open. Um, it, it's a restaurant. That's right. It's a restaurant. She, she wants to keep her business open so she can kill people with the Rona. Um, so these stories, we're going to hear more and more of these stories unless more Americans speak up. And I'm encouraging you, friends, to speak up. This has gotten to a point where uh, we've got to draw the line. And I mean we. I mean, who do you support when you go out to eat? And who do you support? So raise awareness about these stories. Um, uh, I'm skipping over to another story here I wanted to get in. I've got five minutes left. Um, Canada is expanding their physician-assisted suicide to people with disabilities. So we know, last time I checked, and it's been months, but it was either five states, I think it's five United States that it is legal, it is allowed, it is permittable to kill the elderly with euthanasia, the physician-assisted suicide. In America, I think, if I remember right, Oregon, Washington, uh, was it Massachusetts, Colorado, I think. That, anyway, there are five states that we can do that now. So we can now they can not only murder babies, preborn babies, but now they can murder elderly people. And, oh, because... What, under the guise of compassion or, or something. But anyway, this is going to be spreading. But over there, this is Canada. And uh, Albert Moeller, um, he's denouncing this. And Christian leaders should denounce this. I think there's a commandment that says something about, oh, what is it, murder, killing? Yeah, the, what, should you or should you? I, I, anyway, there's one of the Ten Commandments that says something about this. So according to The Guardian, Canadian lawmakers have proposed expanding a 2016 rule that required someone's death to be foreseeable before a physician-assisted suicide would be allowed. Lawmakers want to strike that clause, meaning someone could request a doctor to kill them for any reason. So they want to strike that. If someone's got a terminal disease, they've been suffering for years. That was a clause that was necessary (laughs) for physician-assisted suicide. So reportedly... There have been at least, ready, 13,000 cases of physician-assisted suicide in Canada. Um, While talking about the proposed expansion, Albert Moeller voiced concern that the expansion of the practice could include those who have disabilities down the road. Yes, it will. That's just, just the progression of things. You open up a door to one of these things, uh, this, this policy, and then they f- try to wedge it open even wider and bring in other things that weren't in the original intent policy or bill. All right, so that's another story to keep an eye on that's happening in America. That was a Canadian story, though. Um, Linda Harvey over at Mission, Mission America writes about um, the indoctrinating of America's children, missionamerica.com, if you want to read some of her articles. They're not, they're not pleasant. Um, they're, some of them are disappointing, but it should not be surprising any longer to those who are informed or to Christian parents. So the middle, America, uh, middle school, I should say, is ground zero for indoctrinating children. And uh, her recent article, or one of them, one of her recent articles talks about, did you know that math... Math supports capitalist and imperialist views and is racist. And, and now teachers are trying to deconstruct the inherent racism in mathematics. What could be more clear than 2 plus 2 or 
10 times 10. That's math. But apparently they're saying, oh, it's imperialist now. It's ca- it supports capitalism. I don't know. So no doubt this comes from Oregon. That's right. Oregon, this woke message from their state educators is just the latest example. Over at Discern, D-I-S-R-N, I recommend that website as a source, Discern. Um, they, Oregon is promoting a pathway to equitable math instruction. Oh, my goodness, dismantling racism in math. This, these stories are happening. Cancel culture is going crazy. Um, radical instruction in American schools, well— We know education has taken a dive over the last 50 years. Uh, We're seeing some of the reasons come to light now. They're finding different ways to just use any and everything to come against our history, the truth, really, not just biblical Christianity. But I don't think math is prejudiced either way, right? Math, uh, anyway, math does not discriminate. So that article, though, is over at missionamerica.com from one of our Stand Up For The Truth uh, guests at times, Linda Harvey. She's been on this program. But please look up that James O'Keefe story at the Daily Wire about the photos from the southern border. When we come back, we'll let you know who our guests are the rest of this week on Stand Up For The Truth. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Okay, so I have a proposal. Um, Take the left coast, California, Oregon, Washington, and then take New York, New Jersey. Somehow try to find a way to get rid of Illinois and uh, let them secede from the union. And one, two, three, four, five, those are six states. Oh, Massachusetts. you got to get Massachusetts. Okay, Vermont. Vermont. Uh, Where do we stop? Anyway, there's a way to get rid of this nonsense, this craziness, this insanity, this hyper-liberalism, that's why um, uh, we talk about these things. I'm just joking. But there, there is going to come a time, friends, there will be a separation, a political separation in this country. That's the direction we're heading. Not a civil war where we fight with guns and blood and, and ammo, but there will be a separation. Mark my words, because the Democrats are in power, and it is tyrannical. What's happening in different parts of the country? Uh, tomorrow, I'm blessed to have Dr. Andy Woods Back with us on the podcast Uh, Wednesday, you will hear from Heidi St. John, the busy mom, who now announced recently a couple weeks ago she is going to be running for Congress in Washington. God help her. Please pray for her. Um, Jason Jimenez coming back on next uh, next week. Gary Ka will wrap out the month. Gary Ka, Alex Newman. So some great guests. But tomorrow, Dr. Andy Woods, one of my favorite doctors and. by the way, who said, was it last week, someone on the podcast said, um, someone asked them how much longer the coronavirus is going to be with us, and he went to his doctor and asked him that. The doctor said, well, I don't know. I'm just a doctor. I'm not a politician. Badoom. Okay. Sorry. Uh, we got to go. God bless you guys. Please pray for this ministry, for our outreach, which has been censored and limited. But uh, God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter. <laughs>